Time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for listening to the sports podcast show that covers the entire spectrum of the sports universe. Today's show will feature hockey writers, columnist Eric Roberts. He covers the Kings. He's a producer for Fox Sports Radio. We're going to talk about the NHL playoffs. The second round is more than underway. Some exciting games to cover there. And we're going to discuss Game 3 of that Capitals-Penguins series, the Crosby injury, the Capitals getting back in the series, all that and more. But first up, Sean Sully Sullivan of NFL Network, podcast producer there. We're going to recap the NFL draft. It's going to be a doozy. Here it is right now, Money Mitch Effect. Time for some sports talk. Let's do it. All right, it's NFL Draft Recap time. We're going Experts Edition. Sean Sully Sullivan back in the studio. Sully, thanks for joining the show. Wow, what an intro. I love it. Experts Edition. The Experts Edition. And I want to point out just at the start, you were working draft all weekend. It was crazy. It was hectic. But in the middle of all that... The blessing on your lap, the New Jersey Devils won the draft lottery. That's right. Draft lottery winner, winner, chicken dinner. I mean, the the lottery was on right after the draft, and my brain was completely fried, and they had it on. We were all just getting a beer after the the draft, uh, the whole crew, and uh, it was on. And then another one of our fellow cohorts, uh, Tom Weisenbach, who's a big Flyers fan, we look up and we're like, holy smokes, it's between our two teams. May the best man win, and... Turns out the Devils won it, so that's pretty. That's pretty sweet. I don't think it's happened like that before in hockey or basketball, where mm-hmm. the top three teams were like seven, twelve, and third, or seven, ten, and thirteen with Dallas and yeah. there too. But right. that was interesting, you know. And everybody, it, it might not be the strongest draft in the last couple, you know, outlandish editions. But yeah, hey, the Devils weren't expecting to be anywhere near the top. No, and, and I love it. And there they are. But let's get to the NFL draft now. And Sully, every year we talk about this draft. We, we mm-hmm. previewed it leading into it. How exciting it was how we weren't sure what was going to happen this was by all accounts one of the more unpredictable first rounds there wasn't a lot of picks that could be glued down and it lived up to the billing oh no doubt about it i think the the glaring winner coming out of that first night was your cleveland browns you got to be feeling good about that i do and and we're oh i do we're gonna get into not just the first round but yeah oh yeah we'll we'll dive into it but yeah, there were some there were some surprising winners. Some teams like the Browns, mm-hmm. the Niners as well that had really strong drafts. They're the butt of a lot of jokes, but they brought it. I, it was a very un Browns like draft, very un Niners like draft, but very Bears like draft. So there, wow. there's pros and cons yeah. on both of them. Uh, the, but yeah, that that was a really fun night one. You're right. By all accounts, it was it was definitely lived up to the billing. So let's start. Um, let's start with the Browns at one. They take yep. Miles Garrett. It was expected, but there was mm-hmm. always that Browns factor of what are they going to do? Are they going to go sideways with it? But it leaked early. It leaked about an hour before the draft that they yeah. were going to take Garrett, and it was just a no brainer at that point. I think they had to make that pick. Yeah, I don't think you can go anywhere else unless you're 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 still in in pick hoarding mode. Uh, which which they kind of they kind of were at one point trading back with the uh, with the Titans right um, mm-hmm. and yeah I, I, I like that pick a lot I think it, he's he's the no brainer at one 
it's I'm almost like I dogged guy, him, yeah. but I, the guy's a freak. You got to yeah. take him, you know? It's almost like the Browns got publicly shamed into taking him. Yeah. Like, there's no way they're going to be this stupid and pass. And right. They were listening to the outside noise. But Garrett's a Brown, and then mm-hmm. the draft got really interesting. And I just want to preface this, Sully, with oh boy. there's a lot of sports going on. So I'm clicking back and forth with the hockey game, keeping tabs on some other things yeah. as well. And like a lot of trades in the draft. I see the Bears logo at two. I'm like, what, what's that doing there? You know, did I get yeah. the order wrong? And so, no, and the Bears make that trade. Right. One of my favorite draft uh, tendencies is that the graphics get updated before the announcers have time to talk about mm-hmm. why that's that way. Bears trade, basically trade the farm with the Niners to move up one spot to take Mitchell Trubisky out of North Carolina, a quarterback. All apologies to Mike Glennon and the draft party he was at, but Trubisky is a bear. How stunning was this on your end in, in the football circle? Very much so. Network oh, circle. very much stunning. so. I, I think it was it was shocking to see the Bears go up to two, and and you see how stunning it was to the Niners too, because they in their post draft press conference, John Lynch and the boys were were assuming that they were trading up to go get a Solomon Thomas or or a Jamal Adams or something of the like. Where they they were going to get some help on defense, they weren't. They were pretty much assuming that Solomon Thomas was going to be gone by the time that they they were on the clock after that Bears pick. And sure <laughs> enough, they were shocked just like the rest of, rest of us when Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> his name well, gets called. Well, savvy pick by the Niners, savvy deal to, to mm-hmm. get the assets on a young team. John yeah. Lynch nailing his first draft, nailing nailing the first round. I I, yeah. I, I think he made some questionable decisions okay. there towards later. We'll talk about, yeah. but we got two impact players, and mm-hmm. that's more than a lot of teams could. Ask oh my for. goodness, that that defense is a step in the right direction to becoming what it was uh, when they were busting heads with the Seahawks for the NFC every year. So here's my take on Trubisky and. The, the pick itself. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're we're unnecessarily piling on to this right now. If they fully believe that he's as good as they think he is, and, and I don't think that, and I, I don't know if you think that, no. but look, if they think he is, that's why that's what teams do. You need a quarterback. But it, but it worries you too when you hear about s- stuff coming out that Fox had no idea that that was going to well, be the pick. I mean, that's an entirely two hours, different. Yeah, two hours before the draft. So you know, you yeah. know that the, the front office barely knows what they're doing. Yeah. They're yeah. not even they're not even roping in their their head coach, who's a defensive minded guy that needs help on that side of the ball, and you're going to trade up and get a quarterback. I think the inexperience is a huge thing. Only starting, mm-hmm. you know, only having what like 13 starts to his name. Yeah, um, there's some things that he does well, but yeah, it felt like a reach to me. It now, is a reach. Now, it, if it, if he it, pans it, out, it's, no it's one will care. Reach. Yeah, if he pans out, but I don't I don't think anybody necessarily believes that for the capital that you gave up to get him at two, is he worth it? I think he was 32nd on Daniel Jeremiah's top <laughs> top 100. Well, I think that was also a product. I think all these quarterbacks were overrated. As we'll get to a few, yeah. three going in the top 12. Kind of a little ridiculous to ridiculous. me, based on ridiculous. where they stand in the prospect ratings. But mm-hmm. it was a head scratcher, and and I'll say, look, I, I wasn't crazy about it. I was happy as a Browns fan that it happened because yeah. I thought the Browns were to possibly trade up for Trubisky if he fell below about seven or eight. Yeah, when that happened, he was off the board. That was a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll just say, I mean, it, if he pans out, and I think there might be some things in his game that could work. But you know, you have Glenn in there. I understand that he's now basically a placeholder and he didn't sign into that big of a deal, but they don't really have an offensive identity. Yeah. That's my big uh, yeah, thing as well. I, I think uh, I saw earlier somebody put out on Twitter, I thought it was a pretty interesting point, that this is kind of like the junior version of 
uh, the worst version of uh, Drew Brees and Philip Rivers is what the, what <laughs> is what the the Bears are trying the, to pull the, off the here. The crappy sequel version. Yeah, yeah, the crappy sequel version where hopefully Mike Glennon can write the ship a little bit for a year or two, and then and then you pass it off. But it's, that's just not going to happen. Well, as we'll see here in the next couple picks, quarterbacks became at a premium. A lot of teams were willing to do a lot to get them. We talked about the Niners, Sully getting Thomas a good fit right. on their defense. Keep him in the Bay. That's what we were talking about coming into it. I think that's what everybody was hoping they did it too. They're able to trade back, get up, get get some extra picks, and get their guys still. That's that is an awesome opening move for John Lynch. So I want to group these next two picks together when we talk about it. We're going to break down the draft from a lot of different areas, but we're not necessarily going to go in order. And four and eight were where the running backs went, and that yep. might have been the closest thing to what we thought for sure would happen. You never know. You never know what could happen. If players slip, that could change things. But Jacksonville takes Leonard Fournette four, and Carolina takes Christian McCaffrey eight. And I do like the fits specifically for both these teams. Now, Mm -hmm. Jacksonville, Sully, we know there's a Bortles issue. We know there's a lot of personnel problems there. Yep. But if you want to work horse, if you want to just be committed to the running game, there's probably no one better in the draft in a lot of recent drafts no, than Leonard Fournette. I think Leonard Fournette uh, is going to give them an identity on offense. Bortles has shown that he is not going to carry the load by himself. So go out and get him some help with the first two picks. I love that at four with Fournette. Uh, a little high, but it would be hard-pressed to pass up somebody that gives you what that guy gives you in Jacksonville. Yeah. And then you go and take Cam Robinson and trade up in the second round to get him the next day, and I think that's an incredible pick. Just to just to jump ahead a little yeah. bit, but I think those two picks go hand in hand. You get a road grader starting left tackle along with Leonard Fournette. That's a good couple of picks, and that yeah. and that that definitely is going to help out Bortles. Yeah, I think you get the identity, and and really, I think Zeke last year broke the seal. You know, mm-hmm. taking at this exact same pick that running backs can have tremendous value this high in the draft. Give you an identity, really yeah. hold the fort down in one side of the ball on one area of the offense. McCaffrey at eight. Now, this is a great pick because I think Cam Newton, we know how much he needed weapons. And I still think you got something there. I mean, we're not sure how much Stewart has left, what they're going to do with the rest of the running game. Mm -hmm. But Newton at times was seemingly a one-man band. You put McCaffrey out there, you mix it up. You can tell Rivera is very excited to have him there. And I don't know that you can put him, you know, pigeonhole him into Mm -hmm. one role. But a team like Carolina with Cam Newton, I think this can be a good fit for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, it's 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 an exciting toy that Cam Newton's gonna be able to play with. You could everybody knows how versatile he is. Put him out in the slot, uh, be able to to open up the middle of that field, and and it's gonna help other wide receivers too. I think. I think that's that's a really solid pick. They've always been a committee type team, and so McCaffrey really doesn't have to be a three down back. No, he, he doesn't. I, I have yeah. visions of him as the, running that wheel route, coming out of the backfield, splitting out, and just getting a linebacker on him, which would be death. But I thought that oh, was yeah. a really good pick. So I think you know, we started to see some things that made sense. Still chatting with Sean Sullivan on the Money Mitch Effect NFL Draft Recap 2017 edition. Another area of concern, another area that really stole the show of the top 10 picks was receiver. Three go in the top 10. That was that, wild. That stunned us, and specifically the order of these guys. Tennessee, the Titans, the a team a lot of people are high on next year. Mm-hmm. Marcus Mariota coming back. Some nice pieces in place. They go receiver first. They go Corey Davis. Now, a lot of people thought it would be Mike Williams out of Clemson here, but they mm-hmm. go with the Western Michigan product, Corey Davis, who clearly they had as the number one receiver on their board. A little yeah. shocking here? Uh, a little bit. I, I think... 
not as not as much as some people would think. Uh, Mike Williams and Corey Davis are the two wide receivers that you're going into this draft could think that they would be most uh, adept to be your number one. So they're, they're, you can go back and forth on it. I'm sure if you pull the league, half of them had Corey, half of them had Mike. But, yeah, I like that Corey Davis pick at five. I think um, I think he's he's a stud. And if, if he's number one on your board and you have him over Mike Williams, why not take him? You know, here's the thing, too. This pick grew me a lot. Not necessarily Davis over Williams. That's going to be a debate for years to right. come. And the 2014 draft screwed all of our minds. Yeah. How good, like what we expect from receivers. It's yeah. never going to be that good. No. It's going to be once in a blue moon if it's that good. But we thought with the Titans 5 and 18, do they go defense or receiver here? And a lot of people thought maybe receiver later. Well, they were all gone. Yeah. So it grew on me because they knew this was the opportunity. Right. I don't know if they knew that or if it worked out, but it, it did. And I'm sure I'm sure the boys in Nashville were, were were really, really excited there. And I was I was thinking it too. Uh there towards the middle of the draft, the middle of the first round, excuse me, where Jonathan Allen and all these big time defensive players are slipping and slipping and slipping. And what what we were talking about is Maybe they go Jonathan Allen at five, and then Corey, uh, Corey Davis at fifteen. And I was I was thinking that, and everybody was thinking there for a second, it could have been flipped. But the right. Redskins come in and flip in and 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 pick Jonathan Allen at seventeen right before Tennessee. Yeah, you know that happened a bit a lot of times. When, yeah, when these picks there was one away or two away, and they didn't get what they wanted. And they're but, sweating. But Mike Williams to the Chargers. It was funny. We were talking, you know, a lot of analysts didn't know what was going to happen with this Chargers pick. A lot of directions to go on a team that's aging, but still a pretty quality team. I like this pick, and I like Williams here because he could have gone higher. He's a yep. great big game receiver. And look, you can't count on Keenan Allen being on the field. He's yeah. a great player, but you need bodies. And and I think when you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, that's and DJ and Bucky brought up today, that's a basketball team out there. And when Phillip Rivers is doing his best, he's throwing up jump balls. And then John Ross to the Bengals. Yeah. Ooh, that, receiver, that even Andy Dalton, can he overthrow him? Yeah, <laughs> no, no. And, I, and he's gonna and he's gonna have sure? No, he's, he he can't. That the kid is an is a absolute speed burner. Obviously broke the combine record, but having AJ Green taking most of the most of the uh attention away from him, and then you go up and pick up a guy like Josh Malone in the later rounds too, I think that's a that's a pretty good three uh set of wide receivers that Andy Dalton's going to be able to play with. That John Ross is, just has the type of speed. He's going to be on one-on-one coverage, and he's shown time and time again at Washington that he's going to take the top off the defense. He's going to do it very often with Andy yeah, Dalton. Nine seems a little high. So. It seems yeah. a little high. It does. It does. And it's a little head-scratching. That, and I don't, they yeah. have some needs. Yeah. They have some needs now, but why not? <laughs> well, as we'll, Track get to, meet. as we'll get to in the later portion of the draft for the Bengals, why not appear to be a reason for making some of their picks later. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it is another weapon, but you wonder if they might have sacrificed to get speed there. Mm-hmm. Now I want to take some time, Sully, to talk about the other dominoes and the quarterback scenario falling. And the Chiefs trade and up. 12. Chiefs and Texans end up with quarterbacks both mm-hmm. by trading up. So Kansas City moves up to take Buffalo a spot at 10. Yep. From the Buffalo perspective, Sully, Look, I don't have a huge problem with this because I don't think you can convince me that these quarterbacks, the ones that were left, were going to be better than Tyrod Taylor. And if you don't know and you can get yeah. more assets and you're not really sure the direction of your team, I think it was a sound move by Buffalo. Kansas City obviously felt like they needed a secession plan to Alex Smith, like mm-hmm. they may have peaked. 
I told you Mahomes was like the dark horse in this race, and I thought he was the guy I, that, with the potential factor, could be the one. And, and, and what was the one me. condition? What was the one condition that we gave Mahomes for him to be a successful quarterback? And it was going into the Tutelage, right situation. Yeah, and he is. He's going in, going in the right situation where he could sit behind Alex Smith for a year or two, learn the offense, be able to work on his mechanics because he know he knows that he, he needs to work work out his pocket skills. But when he's on the run. Andy Reid's had some some mobile quarterbacks now. Obviously worked uh, with Mike Vick and 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 uh, um, Brett Favre, Donovan, and he's been able to work them along. And Patrick Mahomes is just the next project for that for that coaching. Yeah, staff. and you know he's not going to rush him. Like you no. know Andy Reid's not going to just try to go out there and put him out there. And I think the Kansas City fans, oddly enough, are probably going to be more patient with this. If oh, struggles a little, they'll be like, okay, we can still figure it out. This is a team that can get to the playoffs right. with their defense and with their skill guys. And, that, and that's that's something that Patrick Mahomes is going to learn from Alex Smith is that, look, man, I know you're a gamer. I know you like to go out and act like you're out in the, the backyard and, and draw up a play in the sand and, and just go gangbusters on them. But, <laughs> but, the, but the fact of the matter is you got one of the best defenses in the league. You don't have to do it all by yourself like you did at Texas Tech. You know what? One of the worst defenses in Division One football. And we're going to get to the Texans, too, but I think both these teams kind of realized that they might have plateaued mm-hmm. with their current quarterback situations. They did overpay, but you start to look towards the future. You start to look toward the options. They also had the Romo factor, too. Remember, before he retired, yeah. these were the two two of the front runners, two of the three with Denver front runners to go yeah. after Romo. So they felt like they needed to make a move at quarterback. It's it's a hefty price, but that's what it's it is. It's a hefty price, and, and, and I said Titans earlier, but they, they traded – the Texans traded up to get to get to Sean Watson with the Browns, and I thought that was a, a better move by the Browns. They're just yeah. Now here, okay, hoard and right. picks, hoard well, and picks. I'll give you my take on this from the Browns' perspective. Had no problem with it because it was clear that they thought Watson wasn't their guy long term. Yep. And you know what? Here's my take. Wow, the Browns don't reach on a quarterback. What do you know? Look, it's good for Watson. It's good for everybody That's involved. Awesome. Watson could be like a Dak Prescott type. But he needs the right system around him. Yep. Newsflash, it's not a Browns team that's been awful that just put together a patchwork line that is still in the process of becoming a good team. Yeah. So, and, and this is you know my personal opinion, Watson has success kind of like Wentz having success. That doesn't necessarily translate to, oh, the Browns messed up. Yeah. If you put them on a worse team, that might not be the case. Yeah. Browns get more picks. They get Houston's first next year. I think, as we'll see later in the draft, I think that it, you know that proved to be you know, advantageous to them. I, th- I think it was a great move by the Browns because they, what do you know? They trade right back in, in the back end of the first round and, and pick mm-hmm. up some more, they pick do. up some more guys. Well, do you think Watson was Sully Houston's guy or do you think they, I think just they'd, they'd have, somebody? I think they'd uh, it'd have to be. Well, what I'm wondering is, do you think going into the draft, they were targeting Watson or do you think as the picks were coming down, they're like, we like all three. We need one of these three. Do you think they just saw the Chiefs pick like we got to get? It might. Race, it so. might have been. It might have been Arizona both. It's, it's hard to say. I think. Yeah, I think with Arizona at thirteen, and they saw the run of the quarterbacks. I think it was a little bit of both at, yeah. at, to sit on the That's fence. What I figured. I think. The, I think Sean Watson obviously was on the top of everybody's board or near the top of everybody's board. Uh, one, two, three, four. One of them, and they, they they see a couple couple dominoes fall, and then they realize, oh well. Arizona might pick up 
one of these guys, and we might as well go up and get ours if, if Cleveland's putting out the trade. So, yeah, they saw the opportunity and took it. Well, they needed a quarterback. Watson was uh, available, and it remains to be seen. Now, the one thing with him, I don't know. I'm on the fence with does he play right away? Is it good for him to come right in? Now, this is a team that has playoff I, I'm always I'm always for resting, resting yeah. and, and training the guy up and letting him be a, a bookworm and, and learn learn the ins and outs of the NFL game. But, shoot, it's sometimes you just don't have that ability, especially with the, the Houston team. Tom freaking Savage in front with of you. With the Houston team, yeah, Tom Savage with the, with, with Tom, <laughs> with the terrible quarterback in front of you and, and a team that is built – to win now with a lot of pieces on defense that are ready to go, a lot of pieces on offense that are ready to go, and they just need a, they just need a freaking quarterback, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be hard for them not to put Deshaun Watson right in right into the fire. Well, remains to be seen. Still chatting with Sean Sullivan on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's keep it going here on the first round. What are some other picks that stood out to you now? I think the very next one. Very next one. Reddick, that, that, huh? scares, yeah. that scares me as a Seahawks fan. Uh, the kid is a great, great defensive piece to add to an already great defense. Yeah, and Bruce Arians, a Temple guy, drafting a Temple guy. He yep. was probably the fastest riser from combine till draft, I think it's fair to say, what he was able to do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's another weapon on that defense that's going to make them even the, more the next, The next couple, Derek Barnett at Tennessee. I know, you're, uh, I, know, I, know I know it's my guy, but yeah. at 14, Eagles get – Derek Barnett following in the footsteps of Reggie White, that gave me chills. And I, I think he's a lot of Eagles fans are dogging this you pick. Know, this I, is, I still haven't heard a valid argument from an Eagles fan that doesn't like this. And I've we've got a few. Uh, and Anthony Germain hated this pick. And <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I still I asked him why, and he still hasn't given me a good answer. I love it. I love friends but, of, the pro, of the podcast. Yeah, and then, and then Ron uh, loved the pick. So, but he's he sat there and watched balls games with us. So, yeah. I, I think I think it's 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 a dang good pick. Hooker falling Hooker at fifteen is, was a great pick is, for the Colts. Oh my goodness! Another weird one too. I mean, they fire Ryan Grigson, their GM, mm-hmm. and suddenly the draft turns around. All these years of them just drafting offensive skill guys, more toys for right. luck. Let's show off that defense and that line. And I think this draft was the first step toward doing that. And then they go, then they go in the second round and uh, get the get the Florida safety. Um, oh, his name's. Uh, May, Marcus May, and and those are your two starting safeties. Well, you know what pick stood out to me, OJ Howard, Tampa Bay. That's the steal. On, that's man. the steal of the first 19. round. We, we tossed around round. we tossed around Titans at five as a realistic yes. spot for him. Yes, and nineteen to Tampa Bay and Jameis Winston. I I said I don't reasonably see him going in the top ten, but he is that talented. But I didn't say he was going to drop to nineteen. No, no, you didn't. No, I I. I Hundred percent love that pick for J- Jameis. The guy has already certifiable Pro Bowl weapons to play with, and now he's got a tight end to bust open the middle of the field. Great blocker, most arguably the most complete tight end in the draft. Uh, behind, I mean, and Joku too. You can make that make that case too. Um, but the guy's ready to play right now. I, I do want to bring up another pick in the first round that was interesting. That Titans second pick, Dory Jackson, eighteen. Now. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the same reservations I have with the Ross pick at nine. Maybe a little high for this guy. Yeah. Because we don't know exactly. There's another guy we're going to get to in a second, but maybe a little high for this guy. We're not sure where he fits, but you know you're getting an athlete. You know you're getting a They need a return guy uh, and a guy that can bust open the field on kickoff and punt return so that he automatically fills that. They needed a corner uh, that that addresses 
two of their biggest glaring needs. I think if they had him as a a high cornerback up on their board, that's a great pick. If they, they believe he's going to be able to, to slot in and immediately shut down some guys there on an island, then go for it. But that that is a very athletic dude, and I'm I'm not going to bet against him. I think I think those two picks instantly got Tennessee a, a heck of a lot more athletic. They did, and, and I think you look towards building for the future. You're not sure. I mean, we expect them to be better, but we don't know exactly how good they're going to be next year. But you get some athletes there. You get some guys that can mm-hmm. run and can play with some of the top athletes in the league. That's a great foundation to build. On. And, and I like it. I like it in a lot to what your Browns did with. No, Jabril Peppers and David Njoku okay. and, and Miles Garrett. So uh, Peppers, Peppers was the guy I wanted to talk about because yeah. it's there's there's issues with where he's going to play, how big he is, but you're getting an athlete. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing I'll say: it might be good for him to go to a team that has no identity. <laughs> yeah. So you know you're not trying to fit him into a into a system. No. They can adjust the system with him because they're building it basically from scratch. The defense last year saw he gave up 25 points a game. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> like there, I think, there's I there's think, room for him on this defense. Oh, there's room. There, and he can play multiple positions. I think it's a decent pick for, for, yeah. for the Browns. No, I know. I'm, I'm messing there. I, oh, I know. But I, I think I think it, it, you could slide him into linebacker. You could slide him into safety. You could, you could, you could move him out to corner. The guy, the guy plays a lot of positions for a defense that needs a lot of positions. So... I can't hate on the pick as much. I don't. I don't like Peppers as as, as many people don't. But that twenty nine pick, I am in love with trading back into the first round, and getting Joker. aggressive, it's... and getting one of the top tight ends that that could be a certifiable yet another stud from Miami at, at the tight end position. Fast runs like a receiver, and Joku is a good pick there. I know they yeah. cut, they made the move on from Barnage, but they want to get younger. They want to get athletes there, and yeah. that could be good. Well. The other pick I want to talk about, Dallas, another smart draft with Taco Charlton. Another, you know, you knew it was going to be defense. And I think we've gotten to the point now where they must be sedating Jerry Jones. Like, just locking right. him in a broom closet when they make these yeah. smart picks. Like, hey, Jerry, just go over here. Yeah, yeah you would think, you would think, uh, yeah, I don't think you, it, it seems like it. They're making some damn good moves the last couple of years, but. You see him right there in the war room yeah, clapping it's like away. A, it's, it's it's Jarrett. It's like Jerry. I mean, Uncle it's like Jarrett. Here, Jer- we got five minutes before he tries to take Chad Kelly. Yeah, him in this pretty close. yeah right? Uh, Chad Kelly at 28. I love this yeah. kid. He right. reminds me a lot of Johnny Football, but I love him. Hey, I want to take, uh, a, I want to take a few moments here to talk about some of the peculiar things that mm-hmm. happened. Okay. Well, we have, before you move on, before you move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, saw this going around on Twitter, too, but I, I instantly thought of it being a Texas guy. Is Taco Charlton in Dallas – his agent needs to start just getting a bidding war with well, all, yeah. all, all of the taco <laughs> trucks and shops and everything. Yeah. And, and, and who, who, who wants my guy, taco Charlton to come on your <laughs> local commercial and, and, and get you some money. Yeah. It's Tex-Mex heaven. Oh, like it's Tex-Mex hey, heaven. Yeah. Real quick. Who was the guy that had Chewbacca with him at his draft party? Oh <laughs> man. I didn't see. Or that no, actually. not Chewbacca. I'm sorry. I think it was the Jack Links. He had a sponsorship with Jack Links and it was uh-uh. Sasquatch. At his oh, the Sasquatch. I didn't there see is, that. Uh, there, this draft got off the wheels pretty fast. Oh, it did. And I want to read sure. into the next topic. Mm-hmm. All right, man, we got to talk about tech going to Atlanta and, and the, taking the a photo picture. of his dead grandma. And, and can I just say, mm-hmm. I know we're living in a time where people are getting a little sensitive yeah. and, and, 
we mean no ill will when we say this about his dead grandma that I'm sure was a nice class. Oh, yeah, lady. yeah. I mean, the, the story's great. Weird. That the story's was weird, great. man. The, the story's great. Uh, that, that was pretty weird to be his taken His mom abandoned him at a young age, and his grandma raised him, and, and she unfortunately passed six years ago, and, like, right. obviously was a large, large uh, person in tax life. But, yeah, I mean, come on. The dude carried on a, a you know, ginormous <laughs> torso-sized picture of a of his grandma and then starts starts dropping cuss bombs on on, on live television. I, I it was it was a very odd move. And I'm going to I'm going to, you know, defer to you as a resident grandma expert. Yeah, yeah. Lived with one at a I time did live with the grandmother. That's that's a story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> that's another podcast entirely. Mm-hmm. But that was a lot. I think we got into the prop section. I mean, it was just. I mean, it was just weird. You had the uh, the Utah lineman bringing his bringing the baby up, out, the acting baby like out. it's Simba from Lion King. Yeah, that Did was. Did you think he was like at uh, Goodell was the Pope and was going to baptize him? Like, I think so. I think that was the move. I think that was the move. I I think it. I thought it was. I thought it was a little weird too, bringing your poor little baby out in front of the 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 thousands. I think they had over what was it two hundred thousand people yeah. there. Night one in Philly, screaming fans. That's it is what it is. A lot of pressure. But well, but the comment to say that the baby's gonna baby's gonna remember that's pretty funny. And we had Ruben's four months old. Yeah, yeah. we definitely remember that. Ruben Foster, thirty one though, going all the way down there. Reminder: always be good in public settings because you never yeah. know when that could affect you. Right. One argument with a hospital worker and he falls all the way to thirty one. But John Lynch is happy to take him. Oh yeah. The because. He is trying to build the Niners' defense of recent years where they, they were stout as all get out. And then that Tampa defense that he was a part of. And those are two big pieces with Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster that are instantly going to come in and start and be game changers. How good for that did the defense. NFC South get at this draft? I mean, they, they definitely did. I think that the Panthers did some really good things. And then the Falcons, I, I thought, had a really good draft going deep into the rounds. I want to take a, a second to talk about the more controversial picks. Mm-hmm. You had Conley, who's under investigation right. for sexual assault rape, going to the Raiders. That was a bit of a risk, a first round, taking a pick on there. The Bengals take Joe Mixon, who right. we heard only four teams really had him on their board. You know, that was a pick where I thought, you know, the he's obviously got the talent, but you just weren't sure. You just weren't sure if he was good enough and, and worthy enough as a character to go. And then Caleb Brantley. Yeah, that's Florida. what I was about to say. Yeah. yeah. Caleb Brantley, where the the Browns, the Browns reached for him a little bit. Most people thought he wasn't even getting his name called. Look, I'm not going to I'm not gonna obviously defend or, or try to apologize on his behalf no. for what he is alleged to do, and it sounds awful. My thought process is it's a six-round pick if – if it holds true, they can just release him. But he's got first-round talent, and if his right. name is cleared, it's a nice flyer to take. Why? I, I, why take it in the sixth round when you most think you could take get him in as an undrafted free agent? Though I think somebody would have drafted him. You think I, so? I think so. I, I don't okay. think the Browns were Pro- going probably rogue. probably the Raiders or, right? or the or the or the Bengals who have shown they they could care less. I mean, it's worked out before. Oil, it has. Oil Collins. I mean, yeah, no kidding. Mixon though, it's tough. I mean, I. This is just classic Bengals in one sense, but in the other, mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, this is it. This is his last chance. And that, that is, it's his last chance, and that's an offense that he can go into, and he doesn't have to be the, the workhorse, but he has the ability to. That, that if he's able to right the ship and prove that he could 
be a, a, a damn good back that stays out of trouble, that offense is going to be right back to one of the top ones in the in, in the NFL. Might be a big ask, though. But we'll see. Might be a big ask. You know, Might be a big we'll ask. See. All right, Sean Sullivan, Money Mitch Effect, while we wrap this up. Sully, some teams that had some good drafts as we went into the later mm-hmm. rounds in the draft. Who were some of the teams that stood out drafting deep in the, into this edition? Uh, I, I think the Jags. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars had one of the better drafts. Um, the Niners – a lot of are getting thrown around as one of the teams that had a really good draft. And I, I agree with that in the first round, but then later on they, they draft a guy like CJ Bethard, who is a little bit of a head scratcher mm-hmm. reach. Like he's an Iowa quarterback that, that he's yep. an Iowa quarterback. Enough said. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, uh, that's all you need to really say. Um, you know, what I'm going to say is the Vikings. Cause I love that Delvin cook pick in the second right. round to get a talent like that, who, can come in play. I'm telling you, him and Murray together, that's a pretty good underrated that's duo. It. That's a really, really good one-two punch, and I think he's going to get most of the carries, to be honest with you. That's fascinating because Bradford, you know what? This is great for Sam Bradford because he's an accurate passer that doesn't throw well downfield. What do you do? You shore up the run game, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that worked out there. I hate to keep coming back to the Browns, but I actually like the Kaiser pick at the pick in the second round mm-hmm. because it does two things to me, so you get a chance to – Maybe hit big on a second-round pick on that rookie deal. But there's nothing to say that they won't try to angle for a quarterback next year if he doesn't work out. Yeah. Two first-round picks again. Why not? I, I keep saying it's not like throwing darts at it, but you've got to keep putting more quarterbacks in the room because you never know where or when you could find one. And and if you're not going to rush the guy and he has time, and you loved Kaiser uh, coming out. You loved I Kaiser. And you're, I guess and, as, and, I and should the, say as much as any quarterback in this right, draft. Right. And I think – it's not necessarily taking Kaiser that was big about that. It's 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 the value of where you get him later on. But I, yeah, going back going back to the the, the Jags, I love the Cam Robinson that I already brought up at two. Dwayne Smoot's pretty decent at at Illinois at in the third round. That's it's okay, but being able to get Dede Westbrook too in the in the fourth round, speedy guy can take the top all the defense. Obviously has his issues. Uh, another another Oklahoma guy that has. A lot, a lot of questionable marks on his resume, but can absolutely take the top off the defense. And uh, Blair Brown in, in in the fifth round is a is a pretty really a pretty good linebacker for the fifth round at Ohio. That's 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 going to be a tackling machine for them. Well, Steelers had an interesting draft too. T.J. Watt and then your boy Josh Dobbs and uh, Cam adding another receiver too to the room as well. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster. That 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 is a dang good pick. Uh, got the receivers fighting a little bit on Twitter over him. Oh, and I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Mike baby. Mike Tomlin Mike Tomlin coming in and trying to break it up a little bit, but the <laughs> they know that picking Juju Smith Schuster, you better stay on the field and be available because this better. guy's going to try to do it. Can I just say another thing too? Derek mm-hmm. Rivers and the Patriot, he's going to be a stud. Youngstown stud. Automatic it's stud. The Patriots pick. This is perfect. It's the perfect. Pick. It's it's like the Spurs of the NBA it's where they just... where they where Popovich is 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 working some three-point shooter in, in Yugoslavia in a, in a crazy genetic lab. That's that's how the, that's how the Patriots do it. Yeah. Or they're pulling out some dude from YSU that everybody loved, didn't know where he was going to go, but he wasn't. He, yeah. <laughs> he popped, he popped out off, off the screen and, and people were loving him. And yeah, of although course I, he goes to new England. Although after last night, I wasn't, I'm not really prepared to talk about the Spurs just yet. We gotta, yeah. Let's not, let's, 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 let's take a couple days. That. that was a little too soon. Uh, and lastly, Sully, Mm-hmm. Some teams maybe. I know it's tough. It's hard right now to say not thrilled about, but 
the Bears. Dude, the Bears. Okay, that's it. I, the Bears. I, to, I told you before we went on, I, I like Ingram as a player. I just don't know that that was the best pick the Giants could have made there. Mm. It seems like he's going to be more of the same. Yeah, I think the Giants, too, you can kind of you can kind of uh, poo-poo on, as it were, because they need help on that offensive line. They really did, they, they didn't take one until late. Uh, they were kind of bouncing all over the place. But I do like the Evan Ingram pick because they haven't invested in the tight in the tight end position in a long time. And he, he is gonna be a heck of an athlete on that side of the ball to get thrown in with the best wide receiver core in the NFL already. Yeah yeah. Like holy smokes, Scary. but if Eli can stay upright then that's that's good. And just say another one to the Broncos taking bulls as high mm-hmm. as they did. Yeah. We thought well, the Colts might look line, but 20, you know, we talked about this line draft not being right. that strong. You look at a pick like New Orleans going lineman late. Mm-hmm. The kid out of Wisconsin, 32. We thought that would be about fair, and, and I thought that might be a little high, but I don't know. Well, this was an interesting draft, Sully. It's, uh, it's oh, a yeah. fun time of year. And last point, very last point on the Money Mitch effect this week. I was a little outraged by the ridiculousness of how they were making these picks at the end. It got to be just full-on comedy freak show with right. a movie cast announcing picks and uh, for the Steelers. And I know they had people at Cedar Point Amusement Park announcing for the Browns and an orangutan announcing for the Colts. I loved it. And we took every pick. That was our thing on on. Well, I know uh, who didn't like it. NFL. Some of the talent on NFL oh, yeah. Network. On, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> oh. Mayock, Mayock can go. Can I go, do too. Uh, can go get angry at the orangutan, but I, I loved it. I, and everybody did too. I mean, the... The orangutan is an endangered species, and it's good that we get a little exposure. Maybe maybe people will go out and help the poor guy. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if that's what it was for, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Now I'm like, I position myself against orangutans and animals, so yeah. that's not too good. But when the Dobbs was picked by the movie cast that include like Milo Vanarama or whatever the heck yeah, his name is. Yeah. He's going to remember that his whole life. Right. I, the, that guy announced my draft pick. And he, in the exact same spot that Dak Prescott went last year. Okay. At 135. Or yeah. a lot of pressure, I don't know. A lot, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to really look too much into where he was drafted, but I think that's a great spot that uh, he can... I would have liked to root for him, though, man. I just, uh, oh, I know. It's it. unfortunate, but the I think that's a great landing spot for him to be able to sit behind Big Ben, and I think he's going to be out, beat out uh, Landry Jones with yeah. ease and be the backup <laughs> with, ease. With, like with ease and be the backup in, in Pittsburgh where you're probably going to start two or three games. At least that's the way... It's gone in recent memory where Big Ben's probably going to miss a couple games. And yeah. He, he could get some early playing time. Big Ben's problem, too, is he's too honest in the media. Yeah, I mm-hmm. feel like I have a concussion, and then it's out there for public. Right. Opinion. And then you got Swag Kelly, Mr. Irrelevant. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Denver could could get the steal of the draft at the last pick. I think he's pissed. And, and I think it's because at that point, you'd almost rather not get drafted and yeah. have your choice. But I, I don't think I don't think he can go. I, I think you go to a very very good spot for him to a team that needs a quarterback, and you could go in and compete. And he better be angry, yeah, because well, he needs I, to get his act right. together because you're, he has all the talent in the world. One hundred percent right in the best situation. I just don't think it works out. I'm gonna say I don't that. think it does either. I don't think it does either because it's Swag Kelly, but <laughs> he has the opportunity ahead of him to right the ship. Like so many other people do, this is a brand new life ahead of you where you could right the ship, change your ways. You got a second chance. Go in there, work your tail off, and compete for the starting spot. But, but is he going to do it? No, he's. He, I mean, he's no. Kelly. And it's you know Colorado 
Well, we won't get into why that might not oh, be the dear. best oh, dear. setting for him. But all before, right. before we wrap up, before we wrap <laughs> yeah, up, yeah. too, I want to give a shout out to the LA Chargers picking up Mike Williams with the top pick, but turn around and, and shore up that offensive line too to give Rivers some time. Picked up the maybe the two best guards in the entire draft, which is crazy. You never see that in a in a especially in a offensive line light draft where they pick up Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney. With their next the two picks. Yeah, the lamp who was picked by Mr. Lights Off himself, Sean, Sean Merriman, Merriman, picks a lamp. How <laughs> awesome is that? Full circle. Well, yeah, that uh, the draft yeah. party, the Charger draft party at Buffalo Wild Wings with the mm-hmm. five fans there was going nuts. Going, going crazy. Sure. And, yep. Drew, and Drew, Drew Pearson. Oh, the troll of the day. That, that, was, that was my favorite moment of the draft. That's one of the all-time moments. I'm uh, glad outside, I outside, One of my favorite moments of the draft outside the one I'll bring up next is him him firing up the Eagles fans, not only doing that, but I'm making five this time. pick. Five times. Five, five times. Time. Super Bowl team. champions allowing making me, this pick for Jerry Jones Allowing and his me to family. have a career. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Just laid it on him. But heel. <laughs> the moment of the draft for me has to be, and it was a guy that I w- uh, we had on Move the Sticks and was just a stand-up guy, and you, got, you can't not cheer for him. We've heard about his story. James Conner mm-hmm. being able to beat cancer yeah. and then – get drafted in the NFL, but not only get drafted, but go to his hometown team in Pittsburgh. And it's just a classic Pittsburgh pick too, yeah. because he's he, him and Lev Bell are going to be a terrifying one, two punch. Lev Bell is going to take most of the carries in that, in that get together, but shoot fourth quarter, wearing down a team. You're going to put in a, a, a hammer of a running back yeah. in James Conner. And if he, he was able to lose a couple pounds, and and get a little get a little quicker. Uh, that guy that that's going to be one of the better one two punches mm-hmm. potentially in the league. Well, it's exciting. We covered a lot. This was fun, Sully. Thanks yeah. for coming on until no next doubt. year with the draft. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, we'll I'm on before next year. But no. yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sean Sullivan. Thanks again, Mega Powers. Signing off. Mega Powers. Big thanks to Sully for taking us to his neck of the woods and breaking down the NFL draft. It's always a good time of year. This one was very unpredictable. Sully knows his stuff. Thankful that he could come on. And a reminder that you can check out all the good content he's working on at NFL.com. Their podcasts are off the hook. We help each other out. That's what we do. Friends helping friends. You know what it is. But thanks again to Sully. All right, now it's time to switch sports and talk hockey with Eric Roberts. He writes for the Hockey Writers. He's a Fox Sports Radio producer. We're going to talk about the NHL's second round of the playoffs. Eight teams left. Some interesting series so far. We break all of them down, including Penn's Capitals. And just a note, we recorded this on a Monday night. Sidney Crosby is now officially out for Game 4. We did not have that information in front of us. But aside from that, everything's good. we got a lot to talk about, as well as uh, the LA Kings coaching change at the end. Here's Eric Roberts now talking NHL hockey, second round of the playoffs. On the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now it's time to talk hockey on the Money Mitch Effect. Bringing back a reoccurring guest to do that. Fox Sports Radio producer, hockey writers, contributor, and a favorite guest of this show, Eric Roberts, joining us on the line. Eric, thanks for joining the show yet again. Oh, yeah, man, no problem. It's always a pleasure to come on and talk some hockey, especially after uh, some of the stuff that's been going on this second round of the playoffs here it's pretty crazy i mean we thought after round one with some of the big upsets the blackhawks the top seed in the west getting swept out of the playoffs 
Eric, that things might settle down in the second round, but it's more of the same. And really one stat that's telling, and I know we live in a world of statistics and analytics, Eric, but we're about halfway through, roughly halfway through the second round, and the road team has a winning record. So that, to me, I think speaks volumes about what this postseason is all about. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Every every day you, you think, okay, that's got to be the, the night of the playoff so far, and then the next day just kind of kind of outdoes the night before, and it's just been kind of a continuing trend. You have overtimes, night in and night out. You have one-goal games, which I think has really kept everybody pretty captivated. There really hasn't been any real blowouts. Everything's going over overtime, you know, one goal, deciding who's in, who's out kind of thing. Yeah, and it's and it's been every single game. I mean, we look at this second round, and there are several series where the home team hasn't won a game yet. We've had a lot of overtimes. The first round set the record for that, for an individual first round amount of overtimes. And even the series that we thought might be lopsided, we're going deep into the night. And Capitals, Maple Leafs, we saw five overtimes in that series. I want to start with Washington and Pittsburgh. We're recording this on a Monday night. That game three just went final. The Capitals went three to two in overtime. And man, there's a lot to digest with this game. There was a, an injury, a game misconduct. A disallowed goal that took about 20 minutes to review, and the Capitals blowing a 2-0 lead in the final minutes of regulation before winning it in overtime with the Kevin Shattenkirk goal. But let's start with the obvious, Eric. This was a game Washington had to have. It wasn't pretty. It was a dogfight, but really not one we're expected. we really expected to see the Capitals play. How'd they just get the job done by uh, any means necessary? You know, I think the the break going into overtime really helped them out if that game if that third period was only a couple minutes longer, I really think the, the Penguins really would have rode the momentum. So I think them having, you know, that 18-minute break between third and overtime really allowed them to take a seat, recompose themselves, come out, you know, and just get back to kind of grinding away because the Penguins are really pushing there. And they, and they scored two goals in the last, I think, what, two and a half minutes to tie it. So they really, that, that little break between the two periods, I think, really aided the, the Capitals and probably decided, they the biggest decider in that game. Yeah, I think, too, I like how the Washington Capitals took a workmanlike approach. They had that players-only meeting after they got basically abused in Game 2 when the Penguins came out and did whatever they wanted. I thought the approach was good. They were physical. They were relentless. They made an attention to detail on puck possession. You know, even in this game, Eric, one of the biggest flaws I see with this Capitals team, and you saw it in Games 1 and 2, transition defense has been brutal. I mean, there's way too many odd man rushes. There's bad changes that result in that. I think the Capitals were better at that, but at times they still aren't that good on the defensive end. When the Penguins got an odd man rush, it is very hard for the Capitals to stop them. I think they minimized that, but I think there's still a lot of work to do in that department. Yeah, there's definitely their best played game, but there was those little instances where, you know, there seemed just a little half step behind, which, which playing against the Penguins at this time of year it could be, you know, terminal for you. And they would have been pretty much done. I mean, we can say that if they would have lost this game. And, and yeah, you saw that in the final minutes. They're playing a great game, and then almost a couple minutes at the end cost them. But Shankert getting that goal in overtime, of all the people to score, Eric, I, I look at this. He's had a pretty rough postseason. He hasn't been playing well defensively, even in the regular season since the trade. There's a lot of pressure on him as being the missing piece and also playing for a contract in the offseason. It had to be a very big boost for the team and for Kevin Shattenkirk, the player to get that goal and really build off that going forward. Oh, definitely, yeah. He was he was the piece that was sought after defenseman at you know this year's deadline. So for him to have that come through at the big moment really you know reassures people. Okay, this is the guy. This is why we brought him in. We have a shot. And you know this it, obviously this was a, a would have been a back breaking loss. You know them going down three zero in the series. 
but also just the way they, they lost, you know, giving it up late and losing it overtime, if they would have, it would have just been like, what do we got to do to beat these guys? You know, it really would have just brought them even further down on themselves going into a possibly, you know, elimination game. And I got to say, too, I mean, Pittsburgh fighting resiliently to get back in this game and not packing it in up 2-0 in the series, down 2-0 late, still fighting to the very end. But we got to talk about the Crosby injury, Eric, for everybody out there not that did not see the play live. Crosby goes to the net on an odd man rush early in the game. He doesn't capitalize on the scoring chance. He loses an edge. Matt Niskanen hits him kind of high around the head. His leg buckled a little bit. And then Niskanen got a five-minute major as a result. Crosby left the game, went to the hospital. Early reports are that he's going to be okay. But, Eric, I'll, I'll be frank about it. I think this should have been a two-minute penalty. I was pretty stunned that it was five minutes. What's your take on it? No, no, I completely agree with you. It's kind of, it's, these plays are really hard. The, the problem with today is there's so many people that can rewind and see these plays in super slow motion. It kind of gets lost to, you know, the the speed of what's happening and what's really happening. They give this guy, you know, more intense, more time to actually, okay, look, this is how slow it's happening. But, you know, when you're on the ice, it's almost as if he was kind of bracing for Crosby to come into him. Crosby loses an edge, and then, you know, he takes the, the, the stick up high. When it originally happened, I didn't really even focus on it. I focused on Crosby's knee, and I was like, oh, wow, that did not bend the right way. But, you know, that's why super slow-mo, it's just kind of, it looks a lot, I mean, it's obviously bad, you know, but it, it kind of gives the illusion of there's way more time to think about it. He targeted them, but, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction on the ice where it's, there's no literally no time to kind of react to Crosby falling to the ice and, you know, you coming up high and kind of uh, as, as a result. Yeah, the speed of the of the game and of that play in, in particular is hard to understate. I mean, it's – unless people have been out there, they don't really understand how fast this play is happening. And, yeah, Crosby slipped. I mean, that was the key to the whole play. If he hits him high – when he doesn't, you can maybe make the case when it's malicious intent. But if a guy slips, I'm all for penalties for recklessness. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the book. Even if you're not trying to do something, it can still be a penalty. But a five-minute major ex- explicitly states in the rule book you have to have malicious intent. Now, I think it did build uh, the Capitals were able to respond, uh, not give up goals during that five-minute major. But we'll see how this impacts the series. I mean, we'll see if Crosby is able to come back and, and play at his healthy self. But, Eric, before we wrap this up on Penguins Capitals, what do you think your key to Game 4 is? The Capitals get one, but they're still not out of the woods yet. The Penguins still in the driver's seat. What's the key going into the next one? Oh, obviously, you know, it's it's a, it's a huge game, and if they could get a goal early and, you know, just really take the crowd out of that, could be huge. That crowd, I mean, when they came out for that overtime goal and they were really getting on Holtby, I'm like, wow, you know, you can't let this crowd behind them because they'll just thrive off of them and then, Obviously, whether or not Crosby will play, we'll, we'll have to wait and see if that's a, a big factor. But if the Capitals want to even the series, they're going to need a huge game from Holtby. You know, he needs to have that game where he steals the game for you, holds you back even in this in this uh, series, and you really feel like you have a fighting chance to come out and you know even eliminate him in however many games it takes. Yeah, I mentioned transition defense earlier. Holtby has to be better. I think Washington has to be better in the faceoff circle. I mean, they have been... Not doing too hot in that area. I think that's somewhere to improve. Pittsburgh's a physical team, and if they keep that workmanlike approach, if they're physical, if they can grind you down and then get to their skill guys that go throughout their top four lines, they're going to be in good shape. But the Capitals are going to get power plays, Eric. I want to see if they can build off of that. They were a little better tonight, but they have all that firepower. they got to score some goals uh, when they have the uh, advantage on the power play. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's move now talking with Eric Roberts on the Money Mitch Effect to the other Eastern Conference Series. Senators up two games to none on the Rangers. They hold serve at home, winning both games in Ottawa's. the action moves back to New York City. 
for Game 3. Now, this is a series, Eric, where I'll just be honest about it. I think the better team for the most of these two games is down 0-2. The Rangers are in a tough position because definitely for Game 2 and a lot of Game 1, they were the better team out there, but the Senators just make a few plays late and steal some games. How were they able to do it, in your opinion? Yeah, no, that's it. That's hit the nail on the head. It's like they are they are a really good road team. I, I fully expected them to kind of split the series, you know, steal one in Ottawa and come back and have a chance to really take a hold once the game, once the series transferred back to uh, New York. But, you know, like you said, it's, Ottawa has just taken advantage of opportune situations. And this time of year, it's like those little, little split-second decisions where if you, you double-take it, the other team will be there and jump on it. And that's exactly what Ottawa has done. You know, the, the game one was just one goal game. Um, Ottawa came back from being down two late in the game two and then won it in double overtime. So it's like this game has just been really finely detailed and just Ottawa's been really opportunistic at the opportunities that they do get. Yeah, game one was interesting because the Rangers were up one nothing early. It was an ugly game, kind of how you expect the first game of a series. Ottawa scores a goal late in the second, kind of gets a gets a cheap goal late off of a nice bounce to tie it up. And then they're playing back and forth. Carlson just throws it on the net. You know, I thought Lundqvist was playing very well. I thought he did a great job against Montreal and for most of game one. But it's almost like that first goal that the Carlson shot, a heads-up play, just throw it at the net that was the difference in game one. That really spurned them on in game two because that was the Lundqvist we saw in the regular season, Eric, where he was just not playing well. The team gave him a couple-goal lead at multiple times, and Ottawa just kept coming back. I expected to see a little more from Lundqvist early on. Yeah, no, he's like like I said with Holtby earlier, like he's got to realize, okay, this is a, a game where I need to be. They need to know I'm back there, and I'm gonna shut them, shut Ottawa down, and I'm gonna give my team the better chance to walk away and cut this lead in half, you know, in the series. So he's definitely, you know, the probably the biggest X factor when it comes to the Rangers and their chance to win Game Three. And at this time of year, for people that are maybe casual hockey fans, Eric, it's when new stars or, or, or heroes come alive in the playoffs that might not be regular season heroes and might not ever really reach this success level again. So in your estimation, John Gabriel Peugeot, who scored four goals in game two, is that just a fluke or is he for real? Like, is he that good to where we should expect him to start carrying this team more often? Because he was amazing in game two. Yeah, you know, he has a kind of a knack to get hot at the right time. I think they said that was the second career um, hat trick in the playoffs. I mean, it's, if, if do it once, it's luck. If you kind of start doing it more, it's more of a trend. So if this guy has a nose for the big time, the, the Senators got to get him on the ice more and see what, exactly how much they can get, um, how much magic he has left in his stick for the rest of the however long they're in the playoffs. Ottawa is a very tough team. They showed a lot of potential early in the season. They were inconsistent. And that Boston series, while they were the better team, they had some trouble putting the Bruins away. They're starting to peak. They're starting to get the most out of their lineup. And this is a transcendent, I'll say, postseason, Eric, for Eric Carlson. I thought what he did against Boston was amazing, and he's backing it up against the Rangers. This is when he's making that leap, in my opinion. It's been a joy to watch coming from someone that's not a Senators fan. It's just been a joy to watch him play hockey on the point. Yeah, you know, I've always been um, I've always been a little more critical of Carlson, you know, me being in L.A. and being a really huge Drew Doughty supporter. But, you know, he really has taken this leadership role on among the Senators and his teammates and really grabbed it by the horns, this, these playoffs. And they've really highlighted it pretty well and showed, you know, just the, more than just him skating up and down the ice, but really exactly the leader and what he, he means to his team and what he does in the ice, how it translates. And it's, it's been a really good playoff series for him. No, I, I agree with that, and, and with you, I mean, I, I actually wrote something on how I thought Dowdy last year deserved the Norris Trophy over Carlson because Carlson's more 
offensively minded, but I think he's made that conscious effort to be better defensively. There's obviously better guys than him in the league, but when he can play on, on the point as good as just about anybody, one of the best defense, offensive defensemen in the history of the game, it's exciting to see, and it's exciting to see him as a leader playing through injuries, getting this team going. So the Senators appear to be for real this year. But we'll wrap this up on one last note, Eric. We've got Game 3 coming up still. The Rangers haven't lost home ice. They're still in a position where they're not out of it. But what's it going to take for them to get back in the game in this series? What do they have to do at Madison Square Garden if in Game 3? Yeah, I think, you know, they gotta just they just got to fine-tune the game. These little these little mistakes, you know, are, that you know that end up in the back of their net, it's just, you know, it's, they're working real hard for their goals and they're giving up softies. So I think they just need to kind of focus, fine-tune mentally, and eliminate just the small little lapses that seem to, unfortunately, keep ending up in the back of their net. Yeah, one of the biggest positives with the Rangers, Eric, is their, their checking lines have been playing really well, actually. They're actually getting some surprising offense. I want to see the Stars show up. I want to see Nash. I want to see... MVC, obviously a younger guy, but Kreider, those guys need to come and take a leadership role. And this is another team, we've seen it with the Capitals, that has trouble playing with the lead. So if they're able to do that, I think they'll be okay. But Ottawa's going to put the pressure on all game. And you know, with the two-game lead, they can play a little freewheeling. So that should be exciting from a team that's played pretty well on the road this poor season. Still chatting hockey with Eric Roberts on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's go now to the Western Conference, Nashville and St. Louis. Not the matchup that many people expected to see out of the Central Division bracket, Eric. And three games have been played. The Nashville Predators lead two games to one. They won game one by a goal, lost game two by a goal, and then won game three by a score of 3-1. to one. Eric, I look at this Predators team riding high off of sweeping the Blackhawks. And in that series, you started to see it. A team that, when we previewed the NHL season, thought could make the cup final. They underachieved for a lot of the season, but they're hitting their stride. And I think they're a scary team and a team that, I don't know how you feel about it, but don't really have a lot of weaknesses. The more you watch them play, you realize how deep and how stacked they are. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they've, you know, they've definitely surprised everybody in the first round. And, you know, they even opened up the next round with a win. Made, starting a playoff season with five straight wins is isn't an easy task, you know, that means you have a large break, but, you know, they really show that they have the mindset and they have the leadership to get everybody up and ready for each and every game, each and every night, so, and they're back in, in Nashville, which, you know, I think they're one of the teams that is pretty nasty once uh, once they get their crowd behind them, so it's just, they really thrive off the environment once they're at, that, are at home, and it's going to be a tall task for uh, the, the Blues to even the series. Yeah, can we just talk about that for a second? I mean, that Nashville crowd, everybody talks about traditional hockey markets, but that's as good as anyone in the postseason. And I saw the stats today, Eric. They had a 9.4 rating for their hockey game in Nashville, highest hockey rating ever in that city, with a 60% share. So to put that in perspective, over half of the city of Nashville was watching that game. I mean, this is a fan base that really cares about their hockey. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're they're a tight-knit community. I've uh, I've talked frequently with a guy that lives out there, and he said, it's buzzing. It's buzzing around around town. People are talking about the game. They're covering it. People are wearing their, their Predators gear. It's a good time to be a Predators fan in Nashville. And I think you can look at a lot of different reasons for why they're doing well, but I'm going to look at one area particularly. One guy, I guess, in particular is Pecorine, who had a, had a down season last year, an inconsistent campaign this year, but he's engaged playing the best hockey of his life. But that blue line, I mean, even after trading Seth Jones, they still have Roman Yossi, they still have Weber, they still have Ellis. 
this is as underrated as a defensive group as I can remember in recent memory. And I think it's just hard to score on him. I think when Renee's locked in, his defensemen are playing well, also adding an offensive firepower to boot without sacrificing defense. I just think, Eric, it's hard to score on this Predators team. They're a lockdown D, and they when they get a chance to possess in the offensive zone, they the defense are on the top, um, you know, chipping in on being outlets for everybody, and they're they're converting, they're they're scoring, and they're they're getting assists on big time goals. They're a quick strike. It's you know they'll lock you down and suffocate you in the defensive zone, and then they'll they'll, they'll possess the puck in the offensive zone and really grind you down there. So it's, it's a real double, dual faceted kind of system they have going. Now, I look at the Blues, and and first off, Eric, I want to give them props for getting this far, for doing as well as they've done. They fire Ken Hitchcock, they trade Kevin Shattenkirk, but Mike Gill rallies this team behind the goal scoring of Vladimir Tarasenko and some great defensive play. Jake Allen was amazing in the first round, but I'm seeing a team that is inconsistent at times. You watched game three in the Predators game. They played a really good first period down a goal, but then didn't show up in the second and for early part of the third. What do you think is causing their inconsistency? Because at times they can go with anybody toe-to-toe. They've proven that, but they have these lapses that you just can't quite explain. Do you think it's talent-based or is it something else? No, I think it's it's um you know I think it has a lot to do with them coming out of the faceoff. You know, there's been a couple games where I think it's all starting from where the play starts, and you know it kind of just piles up snowballs on them. You know. Yeah, I look at it in twofold. I think Nashville's playing great, and I think they're able to when they get momentum. They're one of the toughest teams to kind of corral in. They're a puck possession team, so I mean the last goal in that game, Roman Yossi's shot. They had the puck for about two minutes. So, I mean, they were just gassed defensively. St. Louis has never been a team with offensive firepower, Eric, and I, and I feel like they, they can't get into these track meets. I think that's the death of them. And, and I think game three, they did a good job kind of limiting them, but they fell behind early and they were never able to, to regroup from there. I think they're a team that, that strives off and really triumphs when they get a lead. I think that's the type of not flashy but kind of brute force method that they play in St. Louis. Yeah, no, definitely. They have, they have, they're, they're very similar to the Predators in the style of defense they play, and then they, but they're more of a, we want to get ahead and we want to suffocate you, and then you know just make you try to beat us, and we're just gonna, you know, do what we can to keep keep our lead and be as mistake free as possible. And I think Eric, too, the key for Game Four and going forward in this series, if St. Louis is gonna get Game Four, get home ice, get back to St. Louis even, I think the biggest thing for them is their specialty teams. If they can limit Nashville's power play, which has been playing well in this postseason, if they can get some power play goals of their own, you know, it, space is hard to come by. When you have a man advantage, they had that five-minute man advantage when Fiddler took a game misconduct penalty in game two. I love to get Tarasenko the puck on the power play, Colton Pareko the puck on the power play, because those guys can really shoot Steen as well, and I think that's the area where you can break through on Pekka Rene. Yeah, definitely. They need, they need to get it up high, and they need to get the traffic in between, you know, the, where the puck's coming from, and it's hard to stop a puck you can't see, and they really need to get as much traffic and you know, get those dirty goals because it's going to be real tough to beat somebody who's locked in as Rene with a, you know, just a finesse one-on-one goal. Yeah, we know Smashville's going to be buzzing for Game 4. This should be an exciting one, really a raucous crowd, an exciting series in the Western Conference. And lastly, the last series we want to talk about on the Money Mitch Effect, Eric Roberts talking second-round NHL playoff action, the Anaheim Ducks and the Edmonton Oilers, who are also in a series where the Oilers are up 2-1 and the road team has won every game. Let's talk about Game 3. The Ducks were down two games to none, 
had to go into Edmonton and get the win, and they did. But it was not it was not drama free as they nearly blew a three goal lead. Edmonton stormed back, and then Anaheim pulled away late. But it was a must win game for the Ducks, Eric. You cover this team uh, quite frequently, uh, being in the Pacific Division, and it was back to playing duck hockey. I thought they kind of went away from what was their identity—a physical team that also had some firepower, but can just just out physical and out muscle teams. I thought game three was the first time we really saw that in this series. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's kind of, it kind of did look like, you know, they realized, Hey, we're the experienced team. We're the bigger team. We know what we need to do in this situation. And we need to stop, you know, letting this, this young and gun team, this beat you just kind of speed around you kind of stuff. We need to step in front of them, get in front of them and make it a, a tough game for you, for, you know, these, these younger guys. Yeah. And I thought that was a, a classic performance, a vintage performance almost by Ryan Getzlaff. He's had a really good postseason, and even in the games they lost to Edmonton, I thought he's been a difference maker on the ice. And, and as a former player and someone covering the game, Eric, how valuable is it to have a guy like Getzlaff, who might not be the fastest guy, but he's been there before, has a lethal shot, and I guess most importantly, has the vision to set up his teammates? Yeah, no, he's definitely, you know, he's the leader you want in these situations. You know, he has been there. He lifted the cup before with this team. He's been the staple, you know, of these successful Duck teams, and for the people below him, for the younger guys, you know, the, you know, like Raquel, you know, for him to look up and see, it's like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's not panicking. I'm not going to panic. And, and like you said, he's not may not be the, the most talented person, but he gets it done. He had a goal and assist. He had a nice long pass to Ra- Raquel in that game. And he's the guy you want leading your team in this situation. And Eric, regardless of whether or not the Oilers win this series, do you think we'll look back at game three and that play as the arrival of Connor McDavid, the superstar to playoff hockey? Because that was one of the most uh, exhilarating goals that we've seen in recent memory. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, that's going to be on so many highlight reels. That's going to be on so many in so many documentaries whenever his career is done. And with however many awards he's racked up, that high, that play is going to be okay. This is the Connor McDavid that we're going to be seeing for so long. I mean, like you said, yeah, it was a, it was amazing. I think he was on it was on uh, Vatanen, and he's he's going to be forever um, forever in highlight because of that move was on him, unfortunately, but. Yes, the little cutback, the nice shot to beat Gibson. It's, that was the play of the, the playoff so far. It was, and he's had to fight for space because Ryan Kessler, who, who everybody knows, if you have a top-line center, especially in the Western Conference, you know, who, you know who Ryan Kessler is. He's been bottling him up. He's been following him around, pestering him all around the ice. And for him to get some space, he definitely took advantage of it. I look at this Oilers team, too. You know, McDavid, who is the leader, is the guy defense is key off on. But they have a lot of weaponry. I mean, we really, it's funny, even with all the number one picks they have, we really forget how deep up front this team is. They add Lucic, a big free agency guy, to give them some space up front. But you talk about, like, Leon Dreitzeidel, the German number three overall pick that people forget. I mean, four points in game one. It's scary to think how deep and how young this team is at forward. Definitely. They, they have a little bit of everything up there. You know, they have the young guns that they took with these number one overall picks over, over all these years. And then they have the, they have the grit with Lucic. You know, they have, they have Patrick Maroon. They have uh, Slepeshev, you know, who are really chipping in at big moments. And then it's just, it's all a, a nice mix with these, with these young guns, the grit. The, you have the veteran presence and guys like Lucic who have been there before. So it's a nice mix, pretty much anchored, though, by really the young guns and the young talent on this guy with a little bit of leadership kind of just overwatching and keeping them all corralled. It's tough for Anaheim to really pinpoint what's giving them trouble because Edmonton can hit you in so many ways with their goal scorers and their defensemen. I mean, we saw Larson score. I wanted to, I wanted to bring that up to you, Eric. For all the flack that the Oilers got for trading Taylor Hall for Larson, it was fitting that Larson had 
his best game uh, playoff game ever in game one, scoring two goals against the Ducks. Yeah, definitely. We kind of touched on this kind of similar situation with Shattenkirk. People were like, he was brought in a situation because he was supposed to do this. And same thing with Larson. You know, this team saw who he could be and who he could, what he could do for this team. And they received so much slack for this. Kind of more of a negative way than what the Capitals got. But he finally showed like, yes, I'm the guy. This is what you brought me here for. I'm going to I'm gonna perform when I need to. And, you know, kind of quieted his haters for, for some part. Yeah, he really did that. I mean, I was one that threw a little shade at the trade, too, because on, on the talent level, it, it wasn't really that comparable. Taylor Hall, a, a great player up front, but you filled the need, you filled the void that you have in Edmonton. They have enough offense, and now they add a defensive stalwart to their mix. It's really helped their team. We haven't talked about goaltending yet, and that's a good point to kind of go forward with this series, but I think that's the most unpredictable factor and why it might be the most unpredictable series going forward, Eric, because I can't get a feel for the goaltending in this series, who has the edge. One night, it looks like Talbot's unstoppable. The next, he's getting lit up in Game 3. Gibson had a rough couple games in Anaheim, but he looked very good in Game 3, minus uh, the McDavid goal, obviously. But how do you see goaltending going forward in this series with these two inconsistent netminders? Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's been so inconsistent, and it's even been more inconsistent on a micro level. You know, within the game, there's these flute goals that, you know, that kind of squeak by you know, I think uh, Talbot, you know, just kind of missed one blockering it off. So just look kind of a soft shot on net. And so, and then they go from letting these soft goals into making these miraculous saves. So it's kind of like, oh, man, I, I really, it's, it's just a roller coaster, right? You can't really get a grasp. Like, okay, this guy's locked in because then he lets in a softie. Or then he makes an amazing save. And then he has an outstanding game in one game. So it's just, it's been a really roller coaster just in the crease alone in this series. Yeah, I think it's hard to really it's hard to really factor in what's going to make the difference. But if Anaheim keeps playing physical, Eric, I think that's going to make life difficult for Talbot if they drive right to the net, if they put some bodies in front. Edmonton, I think for them to get through to Gibson, it's about wearing them down with speed. I think they get odd man rushes. They have him turning his head sideways all night. In game four, it's going to be tough. We haven't really talked about the Edmonton crowd, but it's been amazing. We expected the crowd to be great. You know, they're they're in a playoff drought. They come out on fire in round one. They're they're amazing in round two. But then they do the unthinkable and they lift the uh, national anthem, the American anthem, singing it by themselves. I thought that was a fitting, fitting job by Edmonton, one of the best hockey markets, one of the best hockey fan bases. They put on a show, and the crowd has been phenomenal so far in the postseason. Oh yeah, definitely. It's been it's been definitely one a showcase for Edmonton these playoffs and. Like you said, for them to pick up a national anthem like that, I know there's definitely some crowds in um, in the states, uh, maybe even some on the west coast here that probably would not um, enjoy that or even participate in it. But the, the yes, the Oilers crowd that they've been a class act and they've really come and shown what what they can do for their team and you know they've helped them in some big situations with some big goals and kind of willing them as far as they can in these playoffs. Eric Roberts, Money Mitch Effect. Before I let you go, how do you see the conference final table being set? Who do you like in these series to take that next step to the Stanley Cup? With with no Chicago in there, I think it's a little open. And uh, I'm interested to see who you have getting to the hockey, getting to the NHL Final Four. I'll start with the, the Blues and the Predators. It's been a, it's been a, an up-and-down series. I mean, like you said, nobody really had them, had both, let alone one of these teams advancing in some of their, you know, in, in their predictions. So a lot of these people, I think, are filling it out. They're not, nobody really knows what to expect, which has been one of the the selling points of it. It's so back and forth. Everybody's just getting to know these two teams, really. But I like the Predators. I, I think they're, they're they're getting it fired on all cylinders. They have their deep pitching in. Their forwards are great. They have a great goaltender. So I, I think they're going to win the next one. 
and you know they might even steal one in um uh, six here. So uh, that's the that first one's already a doozy. Um, mm-hmm. to see. and then I have I think the Oilers are going to come out, you know, and they're gonna they're gonna probably take the next one on home ice. And I I have them beating the the Ducks. I don't know how many it's going to take, but I think they're going to ride their young legs and kind of outpace the Ducks in the long roll in the long haul. And then I think the Senators, you know, it's, they are already up on the Rangers two zero, so it's going to be a tough series for the Rangers to come back. So I think the Senators will end this one out, and then. Oh, the the Capitals Penguins one, man. I just don't know about this. For as much for as much as the the Capitals seem to take a step back in the playoffs, the Penguins take steps forward. So it's going to rely a lot on this next game and whether or not Crosby comes back. I'm hoping for the the Capitals, but my my sense kind of feels Penguins are just going to kind of step on the throat here in the next game or so. Yeah, that's it's hard to argue. Uh, in the Western Conference, I'm with you on Nashville. I just think, especially how they're playing. They're hitting their stride. We didn't even talk about PK Subban when I was mentioning great defenseman, which is kind of scary. But they're, uh, you know, he's doing a great job. That team's doing a great job. Peter Laviolette has them ready. I think they win there. I'm actually going with the Ducks, Eric. I, I like Edmonton, but I feel like they're gonna eventually come back to earth. I think the Ducks are gonna find a way to win. I'm not exactly sure how, but I think they do it. Senators, yeah, I'm with you. I think Ottawa wins that series. Uh, I think. They'll, they'll probably lose game three, win game four, and then finish them off in six, five or six. And, you know, Capitals, Penguins, I, I hear what you're saying. I think I'm just going to have to go down with the ship and think that the Capitals get it. Because, honestly, Eric, and I think I speak for a lot of hockey people out there, if they don't do it this year with this team in this scenario, I don't know how you can reasonably be confident picking them going forward, especially with free agency going to be plucking a lot of these guys as well. Yeah, definitely. I think everybody kind of feels like this was the year they have they have the veteran presence. They brought in a guy like Justin Williams. They have, you know, they're really just they're stacked up from the from the first centerman down to their their net. So it's just this seems like it's the year, and but they just for some reason they can't seem to really get over this hump in the playoffs that usually comes in the form of the Penguins. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well, Eric Roberts, thanks for joining the show. Hey, hey real quick before I let you go. What's your thoughts on the Kings moving on from Daryl Sutter going to coach John Stevens, uh, a guy that was tutored by Sutter, plays a lot of the same style. A lot of people aren't high on this move. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good move. I mean, I, they, they, they got rid of, you know, the, the two guys that, that brought in two cuffs in three years, which is really, you know, took, took some guts. So it's, it's really it was the only way to kind of, you know, start fresh. And I think Stevens, is, you know, it's the right move. He's, he's familiar with the guys. He's familiar with the depth they have. I think it's a step in the right direction to kind of adapt to a newer NHL that I think the, the Kings were, were falling behind from. Yeah, I'm going to miss Sutter. I'm going to miss uh, what he did for the L.A. hockey community and uh, him as an in-game coach. If he goes somewhere, if he wants to coach again, I think somebody should pounce on him because he's a good coach. But this is what he does. He moves on early, earlier than you think he, he would be. Um, I could see the move. It's familiar. I know the top guys have to sign off on this deal for it to go forward. Lombardi was the one to me, Eric, that had to go. I mean, the contracts, the, the cap hell, so to speak, that the team's in, I think it's just insurmountable in the short term. And I think, you know, change can, can be good. I mean, they were a team that won two cups in three years, but missing the playoffs two out of the last three years, first-round exit as well, I think it was time for a change. Yeah, definitely. I think I definitely thought one was going to be gone during the se- during the off season, and no, whoever stayed was going to be on a short leash next year once the season started. But you know, it's it was a gutsy move, and it's kind of a wake up call. And then, like you said, the core is still there for the most part. That won maybe two cups together. So I think it's just going to take some fine tuning. They're going to have to look within themselves and realize 
this is a move realizing that we have what what it takes. We just gotta we gotta find it again. We'll see if that's the case with an expansion draft coming. If some cap space will be relocated there, but otherwise, it's an exciting time for the Los Angeles Kings and for the hockey community as we get ready for more playoff hockey. Eric Roberts, thanks for joining the show. We'll have to have you back on before the NHL season wraps up. Oh yeah, always a pleasure, man. And that's the show for today. That was the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to our guests, Sean Sullivan and Eric Roberts, for spitting some knowledge in the sports scene. The NFL Draft is over. Hockey playoffs ramping up. Thanks to those guys for coming on. Thanks, as always, to Tim Adams for supplying some music. we got some big plans for music in the future. I'm excited to make some changes and do some things there. Tim has been a huge supporter of the show. Thanks to him. Brian Nelson supplies the logo. And you can find every single episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. The whole catalog pops right up. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21, tweeting a lot of hockey playoffs this time of year, but I like to keep it light. I don't think I'll be covering things like the Met Gala, but you never know. You never know if the mood's right what I might tweet. It's all clean, though. Gotta be PG clean lyrics, you know. But all right, that's it for the Money Mitch Effect. Another show this week. We're going to talk some basketball and some other things as well. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect, and I'll see you next time. Peace out.